Support for Meaningful Conversations comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you get to create your very own professional website. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. So create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's wix.com slash meaningful conversations to get 10% off. I'm Maria Shriver, and this is Meaningful Conversations. On every episode, we'll take a journey into the lives of inspiring, thoughtful, thought-provoking people. People who are smart, spirited, and spiritual. People who have done extraordinary things to make a positive impact on our world. These are people I respect and admire. People who inspire me. I want them to share their stories, their experiences, their wisdom, and their feelings with you. I hope we can come together in community to reflect on the issues and topics that we're all thinking about, but no one seems to be talking about. I hope that you're inspired to have more meaningful conversations with the people in your life. I'm so delighted this morning to share with you one of my favorite moms to talk to, Miss Tina Lawson. Tina is the mom of two incredible daughters you've probably heard of, Beyonce and Solange Knowles. While her daughter's careers have exploded before the public eye, Tina has always been there behind the scenes, helping to make sure her daughters were properly managed, cared for, nurtured, and supported along the way, not to mention cousins, nieces, and friends. I always find my conversations with Miss Tina, as she likes to be called, to be insightful when it comes to exploring what it means to be a mother, how to raise strong women who like each other, and how to maintain your own voice and identity along the way. I really hope that you'll be inspired by Tina, that you'll get some lessons that will help you in your everyday life. And if you're looking to live your life anew, she's got that too. I'm here talking to my Instagram buddy, Tina Knowles Lawson, and Tina and I met uh, last year. We actually met before, but we did an interview last year, and I'm a big admirer of hers for many reasons. One, she's a social change agent. She is a member of her community that works to make her community better, works with young people, is a philanthropist, is an entrepreneur, and what I really admire about her is she's a mom. And she's raised two girls who like each other. And as a mother of two girls and two boys, I think anybody who's got kids is always looking to see, you know, how do we have these kids get along? How can we build a family? And how do we continue 
on a daily basis, building the family as the family evolves. So I thought there'd be a lot to talk about with you. And so welcome back to this Thank table. Thank you. Glad to be back. So let's let's start talking about first about your social action, because that's such a big part of you and your about to do a big gala you're just talking about. Talk a little bit about why you do what you do, because it gives you a life of purpose and meaning. Right. Well, absolutely. You know, it's been a dream of mine that whenever I retired, if that day ever came, that I would be able to provide a place where people could come and like a community center. Right. So when I reconnected with my husband, my now husband, he had the same dream, but he has an acting school. And so we just kind of joined Forces and open Waco Theater, and mm-hmm. it stands for where art can occur. So all forms of art, from performing arts to visual arts to just everything that has to do with art. Because and art is, uh, you see art in everything. I see art in everything, and I see art as the basis of love and community. And when my kids were growing up, there was a couple of places that they went to all the time. One was the Shrine of the Black Madonna, which was a community center. The other was Shape Center. And even though we were middle class, we went to those places and they got to do their artistic thing. And if you've ever seen them in an interview, they give all credit to those places for starting that thirst for art in them. What do you mean you see art as the basis for love? I do, because when people are in that spirit of art, whether it's visual art, if they're watching dance, if they're listening to music, if they're looking at visual art, paintings, think about the emotions that you feel when you go to the museum and you see a beautiful painting. It just brings about a feeling of, you know, you can't help but just be in love and, and be in that spirit of love. So I just think art brings that out. It's hard to be mad at somebody when you're looking at something beautiful. Are you dancing? Are you doing whatever? One of the interviews I read with one of your daughters, you talked about the importance of teaching your children at a very young age about art, but also about black art, about their culture, immersing them at a very young age. Talk a little bit about why you felt that was important, one, to introduce your kids to the arts, and um, but why specifically the black arts? Well, because as black Americans, when you're a kid, what you see on TV is all images, especially, you know, in my day and even my kids' Mm -hmm. days. If you turn on the TV, everything that you see that's good is usually in white America. It's not black America. And when Mm -hmm. you see black America, you see it on the news. In a negative way. In a negative way. And so... And just being black and looking different. You know, if you see a Brett commercial, you see a someone with long, flowing hair spinning it. And I thought it was really important for my girls who wore braids most of their, their younger lives just because it was easy to manage. But they saw beautiful images of black women. And it made them feel proud to be black. You know, the positive aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important for you to have some representation in your home that lets that little black girl know that she's beautiful, too, and that she doesn't have to fit into a certain criteria for beauty. So that was really important. And my kids, you know, even though when they were little, they didn't really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. When they got older, they were very, very proud to be who they were. So that's what you would say to someone with young children, whether they're black, Latina, exactly. Asian, to put 
representation of themselves up on the wall. And, and I know that you started by buying really very inexpensive stuff. So I just want to make that clear yes. uh, <laughs> that it's not the price of the work. No, it's It's not. what the work represents to the family in the home. In the home. And so you would advise that so that people feel proud of who they are of on their the culture inside, of and their that culture. they have a thirst to know their culture and their history. You know, a lot of my art when the kids were growing up as I collected art was of, you know, some of it depicted slavery, some of it depicted sharecropping. And my kids didn't like those images when they were younger. They used to be, oh, mom, there you go with the the slave art. But as they got older, they realized that that's a part of their history, too, and that that was just the circumstance in which people were in. But it was still, they were still beautiful, resilient people. And you you invest now in more expensive things, but only of black artists? Uh, I have... A couple of Picasso, um, oh. you know, lithographs. Ooh. and uh, Go, girl. Yeah, and I have some, and Diego Rivera. Um, but primarily black art. That's my interest, and that's my, my love. And you promote it. I it promote would, it. And prom- I promote young artists as well, young African-American and Latino artists. At our gala, we have the most... I mean, our gallery is really, really amazing because it's all about emerging artists and just promoting them and encouraging young African-Americans to buy art because people think that Mm. art is so expensive and it's out of their reach, but you buy what you like and you buy what you can afford. And, you know, it's a great appreciation in art. Usually, you know, this, this podcast is called Meaningful Conversations. And the last time we spoke, it was meaningful to me. And I want to ask you how you define, you really appear to be living a meaningful life. In some ways, you look like you're just getting going and we're about the same age. (laughs) And I feel a little bit the same. And so often people go like, why don't you retire? Or you really want to work that hard? Or you really want to do all that? And so I want to know where you, when you step back, do you think you're living a meaningful life? And where do you get your meaning? Absolutely, I'm living a meaningful life. I have worked since I was 13. I mean, I worked hard since I was 13. So I had this, this vision of retiring and traveling. And I've done a lot of that. But after we opened the theater, I've just got this whole new renewed thing to just, you know, do what I can to help change the world. How do you feel you're changing the world? Because kid by kid, in Tina's Angels, some of the girls have their grade and boys, their grade point averages have gone up by by as much as four points. And just exposing them to everything amazing about art, you know, from the theater to dance to going to a nice restaurant to having etiquette classes, things that they wouldn't ordinarily be exposed to. And just the fact that we can do that is amazing. I mean, I get choked up about it because I see the results of it every day with those kids. I mean, we meet with them every Monday and three weeks out of a month. And we just went to see Charles White's exhibit at LACMA Mm -hmm. Museum. And we had a beautiful Creole lunch. And then we went to the museum and to see their little faces like light up about art and to know their history. It's, it's, I feel like that's changing the world just a little bit, but 
but it's doing it, you know. So Tina's Angels that Tina is talking about is a program that comes under the umbrella of the Waco Theater that she just explained. And you spoke a little bit about it last time, and it was so beautiful where you take young women and you and, teach— And boys. In, I thought the boys were in Richard's Warriors. Yeah, they are, but okay. we, we, we do it together. Okay, so it's Tina's Angels and <laughs> Richard's Warriors, and you can find out more about all of these programs at thewacotheater.org, correct? Yes. So, and they're having a big gala. If you happen to be in Los Angeles, she's working really hard, and you can find out about that gala at thewacotheater.org. But Richard's Warriors, her husband is Richard Lawson, and Tina's Angels, um, they, I know they all go together, but just so that people understand understand. You're taking young kids, young boys, young girls, and teaching them culture, teaching them how to go to tea, how to go to the theater, how to eat properly, how to study better. Is You're yes. trying to create a community around them. And it's kind of hard to get into your program. Well, it's what we did is we adopted a school called KIPP Academy, which is right. a it's a charter school, if you will, but it's uh, based in the underserved communities. Mm -hmm. And these kids go to the school and they're taught to be community driven. And, you know, we, we adopted that school. So we're doing the classes through that school. We have the class from last year and then we have the class from this year. So now we have like 66 kids. So every year we gain 20 to 30 kids. And you work with them on how they dress, how yes. they speak. Um, sisterhood, which is really important sometimes. Let's when talk you're, about it. what is that sisterhood? Well, you know, the girls are at an age, they're 12 and 13. Right. So, you know, we talk about the girl code and how, you know, your <laughs> boys will come and go, but your girlfriends are, are your girls and that you support them and that you don't. There are rules to that. You know, what um, are they? Well, don't date. Don't like a boy that, you know, your friend likes, you know, because you're going to change boys. 20 times before you get out of school. But sometimes the girls like the same boy and it creates such a rift between them and such a, you know, I think girls are taught from day one to be competitive. And that's the unfortunate yeah. thing, to compete about being beautiful, about being the wrong things, not being smart, the smartest girl, but sometimes being the cutest girl or the finest girl or the most popular girl. And so we go into all of that. I've had psychologists come out and talk to them. And wow. also people like social media stars. Believe it or not, I could bring Tiffany Haddish in, who's like a hot star right now, but who is great because, you know, she's a foster kid. She was a foster kid and she can relate to the kids or maybe that's not a good example. I could bring a star in, but the kids will relate to social media uh, yeah. stars. Right. And so I brought this girl in. Her name is Lala Milan. And she came in and these kids, they're quoting her. There. It's funny how. Yeah. What, what did at, she say that? Well, that she landed? just she came at a time when there was a riff about boys mm -hmm. and she just talked to them very real and mm -hmm. told them about sticking together and, you know, just about the girl code. And it was the most effective thing because I've been preaching to them forever. But that one day of her coming in, somebody that they really look up to and they think is really cool, they listen to them. When you talk about the girl code, I like that. It's it's like, don't be competitive with exactly. your girlfriend. Don't go after the same guy. What else is in the girl um, code? Just mainly... Don't be jealous because of what the other person has, because we focus on what 
is your good stuff. And so we go around the room every time and say, what's the best thing about you? And we work with that kid until they feel good, whether it's baking cupcakes. We have a passion day. And it came out of me just asking the kids, what are you passionate about? And some of them had no passion. So we just stay on them until we figured out what was their thing. So some kids like to bake. Some kids like to cook. Uh, some kids like to decorate. So whatever their thing was, we let them do it for this passion day. Mm-hmm. And they got to go to the theater and if they were singing or dancing or whatever. But some of them were like, I don't, I don't like anything. But we found something in them, and so that little girl cooked spaghetti for everybody and one baked cupcakes for everybody, and they got to explain their process. Because when you tell a kid, when you bring out the best in a kid and make them think about what's wonderful and great about them, they don't have to feel jealous of the other person because of whatever they, you know, they think is better than them. It's all about somebody feeling like they're less than. So, but you're really mothering. That too. Oh, yeah, that comes into it all the time. Or just one kid, one kid is really struggling with their sexuality and they don't have a support system. Mm. So I brought someone in who could tell them, you know, talk to them about that because that's a real lonely place to be. What does that make you feel like when you're there menteeing or mothering, encouraging, motivating, seeing bringing meaning. What's going on in Tina when you're doing that? Oh, God, my heart is so full. It's like the best feeling in the world. I don't think there's anything else like it. That's why I tell people all the time, if you mentor a kid, whether they're from your church or from your community, just take them to the movies and talk to them. It just makes, it adds years to your life, I think. That's such a great um, philosophy because uh, all of, you know, everybody's in pursuit of happiness and what are they doing and they can't, you know, they want to buy this, they want to buy that. But I think what you just said is, you know, what brings meaning f- to your life is working with another human being, working with someone who, particularly kids, right, who can't articulate a passion, who don't have a support system. And there are millions oh, yeah. of them. Did you always think you could do this? Or did this come from like, all right, now I'm finished mothering my own kids. And that went pretty well. So I can try it with other people. That's exactly it. Yeah. So <laughs> Because you thought, in like, my house, there was Tina. always 10 kids there. Right. You know, my, my girls, I'm sure, you know, you, you bring in these kids and sometimes they need something from you as well, other than just you providing the food. You know, I've, <laughs> I've been a counselor for so many kids. I made their prom dresses. I've, you know, so they could go to the prom. I paid to, for them to get their hair done because they just, it's, it's, you know, it's just situations and circumstances that happen in kids' lives, and sometimes they just don't have anybody else. So I was like, God, I'm kind of good at this. I think I could do this. That's the other thing that we I always think is so great, that sometimes your passion and your purpose is sitting right, most That's of the time right. right in front of you. That's true. Right in front of you. So if you're really good at raising kids— Maybe you can do that in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? As, as so many people confront empty nesting and then they feel like lost and alone. And then all of a sudden, what you did really well, you can do for somebody else. Exactly. Right? So the girl code. So you have two daughters that are close in age and you talked about competition. I have two daughters close in age and the whole sisterhood in the real sister mm-hmm. thing, right? How do you raise girls that aren't competitive with one another and that both want to be public and both want 
light. And your role in that, how do you give the light? How do you keep it so it's not competitive? I think what you have to do is celebrate the differences and not compare them ever and try to give them both what they need. And I think, you know, kids have different needs, you know, some are far more independent than the others, but you got to make sure you give them each time and never compare them and just celebrate what their good thing is. You know, it's the same thing I do with the, with the kids. I just try to celebrate what their, whatever their good thing is. Do you do alone time or is it always together? Well, no, no, no. When, when my kids were growing up, we definitely had alone time uh, because, you know, you have to make alone time for them. You can't just have the other one tagging along because it's really difficult to give them the attention that they deserve if it's two kids. And in our house, it was never just two kids because my niece lived with us for like five years. And then we had the girls in the girls singing group and those kids were always over there. And, and we actually, I actually raised Kelly of Destiny's Child from 11 till she was grown. And so there were three girls. And then my niece spent the summer. So it was always a lot of kids around. And so you, you stressed the girl code at that age. Absolutely. They were taught from day one. And I think, you know, people always ask me, they're like, every girl group breaks up eventually. How did they stay together? And, I, and the way they stayed together was teaching them from a very early age to celebrate their sisters and not to be jealous and to, to include them in that, you know, just because somebody's really beautiful doesn't mean that they're prettier than you or better than you or, you know, you got to celebrate the differences. How have you now, you know, cause I was saying to someone the other day, there's so many books out there for moms and dads of little kids mm-hmm. and pregnancy books, but adult kids mm-hmm. are a whole other ball game, right? right? You have to parent in a completely different way when your kids are in their 20s and 30s, when they have spouses or live-ins or whatever is going on in the thing. How has your parenting changed as your kids have gotten older? Well, it's changed a lot because, I mean, they're adults. So I don't really, my role as a parent now is just as a support. But they they tell me what to do. I don't tell them what to do anymore because they're grown and they have their own households. But they don't ask you for advice. They don't ask you. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah, I still give advice all the time. But only when I'm asked because, you know, I have, like every mother, tried to give my opinion when it wasn't asked for and it doesn't go that well, you know. Especially when they're grown, they're like, Mama, did we ask you? No, you didn't. So I'm just going to shut my mouth and be a support. That's what you have to do. Do you find that hard to make that transition? No. I'm, yeah. I mean, it's it's actually a relief because when your kids are younger, you know this, you, you feel so responsible for everything yeah. that happens to them. But after they're grown, it's such a relief so that, you know, if they make a mistake, it's on them and not on you. So, but the piece of advice, just like the girl code, younger, the kind of... You know, adult mama code or the grandmother code is don't offer your advice unless you're asked. Absolutely. And what else? What's another code there for? To not, you know, I try with my kids to, I love being with them. Mm -hmm. I love talking to them. But I have a lot more understanding of the fact that they're busy and they have their own lives. And sometimes, you know, Solange is always so, so busy. And she's not the kid that calls her mom every day. And so I had to get used to that because I want to talk to my kids every day. I mean, 
But, you know, I've had to let go of that and be okay with it. You know, they, they, it's funny because I'm terrible about answering my phone. So they'll call me and try to get in touch with me and they can't get in touch with me. But if I call them and they don't call me right back, I would have an attitude. But I've gotten over it now. I'm doing better with it. Don't go away. We'll have more of the conversation in just a moment. But first, let's talk about one of our sponsors. This episode of Meaningful Conversations is brought to you by Living Proof. Living Proof is a line of hair products that's backed by patented technology from MIT scientists. That means its products are proven to work and aren't like some other beauty products which are full of marketing gimmicks designed to just sell you something. Since day one, harmful ingredients have never had a place in any of Living Proof's hair care lines. That's why its founders recruited scientists from outside of the beauty industry to discover, formulate, and test every innovation. From frizz to damage to fullness, Living Proof products do exactly what they claim to do without using silicones, parabens, phthalates, or animal testing. It's no wonder they've won eight Best of Beauty Breakthrough Awards. Living Proof is delivering results that you can see from across the room. So head to livingproof.com meaningful today and use promo code meaningful to get a free sample of their award-winning dry shampoo with your purchase. That's livingproof.com meaningful, promo code meaningful. Now let's get back to the conversation. You're remarried. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you keep your family now together? Extended, immediate, how does that work? Just, I mean, inviting them to everything, you know, and sometimes they can come and sometimes they can't. But we do really well with getting together because we miss each other. And it's not only my girls, but Kelly and Angie, who's my niece, who spent every summer with us and then came to live with us out of high school. So it's like I have four girls. And it's so funny because we'll, we are always on group group chats. And we'll be on a group chat for two hours, just going back and forth and laughing about something or being sad about something. I'm sure you heard about uh, Nipsey Hussle right. being yes, killed. So day. we've been on this group chat, the sadness about that and the disappointment. Was he a friend of yours? He is. He's on my son-in-law's label, and my son-in-law loved him so much. And he was such a great guy that the whole community is sad. Right. But, you know, it, it's really comforting to be able to be on that group chat and to talk about it. You know, it's like counseling. So you you stay in family, so to speak, even as people get older, as they have kids, you you stay at that. So do you see yourself as the matriarch of your family? And how do you see that role? Absolutely. I'm the matriarch. And I feel like it's my job and my duty to keep the family together, to make sure that on holidays that we see each other. And if someone can't be there, at least we include them in a FaceTime. Even though I'm not given the advice that I would like to give sometimes, that I'm there in case they need it. You know, it's like that's really important to me. And, and you know, when my husband and I got married, we just had a conversation about this because we had like a, retreat, a marriage retreat. And in that marriage retreat, we talked about the fact that, you know, he's like, yeah, well, if one of your kids calls, then I know that you are missing an action for an hour. It's like depending on what they call for. Right. But. That becomes my priority because 
I just want to listen and I want to be there. And I think that that is, you know, the job of a matriarch to keep the family together, make sure they eat together sometimes, that they pray together, that they go to church every blue moon, because it's really hard for my kids to go to church. But nothing makes me happier than on my birthday or Mother's Day when they all come to church with me and we pray together. That's really important. You went to a marriage retreat, you just said. Yeah. Why? What, and what was that? Well, it was just going away. And I mean, I call it a marriage retreat, but it's mainly just going to talk about our relationship and our marriage and kind of renew it and kind of check in. And, and we do that from time to time. You know, we'll go to the beach and stay for three days. And this time we went to San Antonio because there is a woman there who is a great uh, that has these retreats for for married people, so it's just a tune up. And, no, <laughs> and I you think need that's it every a, now and then. Yeah, but that's kind of I think that that's a really interesting concept because you were married for a long time before yes. this, as was I. Went through a painful divorce, yes. and now how do you approach marriage differently? Very differently. That I try to make it a real priority and. You know, even though, you know, it's funny because I'm just talking about my husband saying, well, you know, when we were talking about the where we are in our each other's priority list. Yeah. And he felt like, you know, if my kids come, then their first priority. If they call me and they have a problem, well, that's true. But overall, making my husband my priority because I didn't do that in my first marriage. My kids, the day I had a kid, it was like, I'm not screwing this up, so I'm going to put 100% into this kid. So as you look back, you you kind of, that's like, I don't want to do that again. No. I want to make, and I want to, you know, my first part of my life, I have to say, was totally devoted to being of service to everyone in my family. Mm -hmm. And I mean, distant, just my nieces and nephews, I have 60-something of them, and just kind of taking care of everybody. And I really want to take care of me. You know, I'm really about taking care of Tina now. What's and that me, look like? What's that? Oh, having fun, not being so conscious of every little thing that I do that it might affect my kids. And they might say, oh, look at Beyonce and Solange's mama wilding out over there dancing and being on Instagram. I'm to, you know, I just, I'm just way freer and and I'm about having fun and not taking myself so seriously and being so uptight. And, you know, because that's kind of how I lived my first part of my life. It was always about being there for my kids and protecting them and never protecting me. How didn't you protect you? Well, I didn't protect me because I was so focused on on everyone taking care of everyone else that I didn't take care of me. You know, and mm-hmm. I didn't protect me in, in circumstances like, you know, I don't think I protected me in my marriage. I don't think I protected me in terms of having enough fun. You know, when you think about your kids, you want them to have fun. You want them to have balance. You want them to be happy. You want them to laugh. I didn't I was the last one to look at and say, you need to go dancing, or you need to go to the art museum, or you need to do something fun for you, because it was always about everybody else. But that's not the case now. So it's really, I love that term. I actually wrote about that in the Sunday paper last week, 
protecting, mm. protecting what, yeah, I, I wrote about growing up thinking that that was the job of a guy mm-hmm. and that That's then true. stepping into that role myself, protecting my children, protecting the things I care about, stepping up publicly for things that I value, that I want to protect and ultimately protecting myself. And, but mm. also finding that that was the last thing that I thought about. Me too. Right. And so I protected other people. But not yourself. But not myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that kind of, in a funny way, you come to later in life it's in a true. weird way. You're like, well, you know, gosh, that was a big miss, you yeah. know, and it was always about what other people deserved. And then I was like, well, if I want what that for them, deserve? what do you deserve? Yeah. And so that's kind of, I think, a, a p- great part of the second part of life, right? If you feel like you're kind of done your kids well, or you're healthy, that you can actually give to yourself. And that's not selfish. That's actually a deserve self-care. That wasn't in the vocabulary when I was young, right? Or even, you know, when I was raising my kids, self-care. If I had mentioned self-care to my mother, she probably would have like looked at me like, what are you talking about? Right. Mine too. Right. So Mm -hmm. I think to give that to these young people that you're working with to give that to yourself, right? To protect yourself and obviously to protect your marriage. So that those are kind of things that you want to stand up for today. This is what you value, giving to your community, yourself. And you feel like that was hard earned for you. Absolutely. It was hard earned and not the easiest thing to do. And something really drastic like this terrible divorce had to come along to say, wake up, like, come on, you know, you're working seven days a week and you're taking care of everybody. What are you doing for Tina? And it was very little that I did for myself. When you you had a terrible divorce and yet you found love again. Mm -hmm. So uh, many people who go through divorces at any age, much less long divorces, I mean, long marriage, think, you know, no way. I'm just, you know, that was it. I'm not going to find love again. I don't want to find love again. I don't want to get hurt again. How did you open yourself to love again? You know, before I got divorced, it was probably a year and a half that I knew I had to get a divorce. And during that year and a half, that was a time that I did try to do some, I went through really strong counseling, like two, three times a week. I prayed, I meditated, and I started doing some things for myself, you know, like getting a massage or going to a spa or going to a museum on Sundays. But I was still, I mean, something, I had to really go through with it for me to just get slapped down where I was just like, I can't work right now because I I still wanted to work and and work seven days a week or six days a week and take care of everybody. But after that happened, it was like it just kind of knocked me down, and I really had to take a look at what was going on. But the reason why I say that is because I had been preparing for that time. It wasn't like it just happened. I knew I had to get a divorce a year and a half before. So before I actually filed for it, I started really working on myself. I knew that I wanted to date. And I gave myself a time, like a year. You know, it had been a year and a half up to there, and I gave myself probably another year. And then I was like, I'm ready. And how do you, you know, how did you navigate your kids through divorce and your relationship with your ex-husband now? Is it Um, like... It's fine. I mean, he's my family. 
I always care about him and he'll care about me and you know we're family and my kids were fine they were actually relieved because they were grown I mean I waited till they were well and being grown and uh, Beyonce had been married for a while they were married Kelly was married Solange was I don't know if Solange was married, but she was grown. Yeah. And so they were they were actually my support system through the divorce. They come over and we eat ice cream and look at old movies and I'd be sad and say, you know, I'm so old, I'm never gonna meet anybody. And they say, Yes, you will, Mom, you will. You know, and I'm like, Where? Because I'm not going to the club or to the gym and they're like on the plane, I don't know, you know, mm-hmm. you'll find, you'll meet somebody. And Solange was really encouraging because she was like, Mama, four of my friends' parents are over 60 and they've all got married. And I was like, really? So I heard stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and they actually became my nurturer for the first time, which is really cool. Wow. When you look at your life today, Tina, like, are you proud of what you've built, of who you are, of where you're at? Absolutely. I'm really proud. I mean, I'm I'm proud that I can do the things that I do and that I'm not somewhere feeling sorry for myself, you know? Yeah. I, I didn't allow myself to do that for very long. I did, you know, I was like, okay, you got, you know, a month to feel sorry for yourself and lay around and eat ice cream and look at TV. But after that, you got to get up. And make it happen. And that's that's been my attitude all my life. And that's what you want to show your girls. Yes, absolutely. And that, you know, marriage is wonderful and you want to be married and you want to, you know, have your kids and you want to have this idyllic family life that we all buy into from little kids. But if you don't have it, that you're still okay. You know, you're still good. Boom. That's it. Uh, Tina Knowles, I want to thank you so much. You're always so inspiring to me. And well, you're inspiring to me, too. I read all of your your things on Instagram. I know. Sometimes you retweet <laughs> me or re-Instagram me or whatever right. that is. But I, I really think that you have so much. I've been trying to encourage her to write a book because I think there's so much about raising families, about stepping into your own power, about overcoming, about continuing to evolve, about culture, about education, about inspiration. You've covered so much here today, and I always want people to hear you because I think you're so inspiring and you are living a very meaningful life. Thank you. God bless you. And Waco Theater, if you want to go to her event, go check out what she's doing and probably you could emulate in your neighborhood what she's doing. That would be wonderful. And so... There you go. There's an idea. They could have little Waco theaters <laughs> all over right. the country. Thank you, Tina <laughs> Knowles. God bless. God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Meaningful Conversations. If you're looking for more inspiration and words of wisdom, then please sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Sunday Paper. It's free and it's really good. Just visit my website, mariashriver.com, to subscribe. I hope you'll also check out my book, I've Been Thinking, and its new companion, I've Been Thinking, The Journal. Like this podcast, these books were created to help you on your path to a meaningful life. More details on my website about all of that as well. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to being in community with you again right here each Monday.